0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Alberta Roundup. We are back for week three of Election Watch. I am once again joined by Chris Sims. That's the Alberta Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Erica Barutis, a senior advisor on the United Conservative Party campaign. And Evan Benzies, he's a senior campaign strategist with Crestview Strategies and the UCP's former of Director of Communications. We head to them now to discuss this week on the Alberta election campaign. So one of the first things that I wanted to talk to you all about this week is the Compassionate Intervention Act. Danielle Smith kicked off the campaign on Monday with this huge announcement. In my opinion, it is one of the biggest policies the party has announced so far. Basically, what it would do is it would force addicts who are a danger to themselves or to others into some type of recovery. Now, we know that the government was looking at this because that was leaked by a request from the Globe and Mail. This is a huge policy from the government. It shows that they are really taking the addictions crisis seriously. But of course, it is not without controversy. Erica, can you tell me a little bit about what the reception to this policy has been?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely think you're right. It was a very moving um, announcement on Monday. Definitely, you know, there was a lot of stakeholders there from the community, people that are, uh, you know, are struggling with addiction, speaking out in support of this. Um, So I do think, you know, it creates a position where, the NDP is in quite a different contrast. They're not taking a compassionate approach for um, addicts and getting them off the street so everyone can can feel safe. Um, you know, I think it landed very well. I think people were receptive um, to this this movement because public safety is such a critical thing that everyone is facing right now. And in order to do that, we need to get to the root cause, which is, is dealing with those the, the addiction and, and mental health crisis
0: erica you're absolutely right the premier was surrounded by former addicts and families that have been touched by addiction and there were some very moving testimonies on monday i want to play one of those clips for you right now this is from a woman named abby plessa she said she was addicted to drugs beginning at age 12 and if her family had not received a court order to force her into recovery she believes she was dead so we're going to play that for you now
2: i did started with the use of marijuana at 12 years old and quickly progressed to using methamphetamines and opioids at the age of 14. I was lost, alone, and hopeless. I experienced multiple overdoses, suicide attempts, trips to the police station, and psych ward. These visits were short and provided only a temporary solution. I had hit hit rock bottom, and I didn't know how to get back up. I truly believed I wasn't going to make it past 16 years of age. I hated anyone or anything that stood between myself and my drug use, and I was a danger to myself and others living in a world of darkness without a way out. Then something miraculous happened. At the age of 16, my family family finally experienced enough pain and had the courage to step into my addiction and get a court order that placed me into detox before entering a long-term treatment program. My parents were scared for my life and had no other choice. I made multiple stops in the road before this and this final intervention saved my life. It allowed them to show me the love and support I needed to overcome my addiction and gave both them and myself the tools and the support to recover. I'm proud to say that I'm now 19 years old with three years of sobriety, attending school, and working towards a degree in nursing. I have a great relationship with my family and friends, and I I can now live life on life's terms without the use of drugs and alcohol.
0: When this policy was first announced, we know that NDP leader Rachel Notley was not a fan of it. At the time, she said it was too punitive. I had the opportunity to ask her on Monday how she felt about it, and she didn't use quite as strong of language. She simply said she didn't think it would work. Here's what that sounded like. Hi, Rachel Manuel with True North. Just ahead of this announcement, Daniel Smith announced that a re-elected UCP government would try to pass the Compassionate Intervention Act, which essentially forced drug addicts into treatment.
3: What is your response to this? Well, you know, let me start by saying I think we can agree that there needs to be A tremendous amount of work focus and effort uh, from uh, the provincial government whoever it is uh, in terms of addressing this issue because it's it's so uh, critical and so damaging across so many communities and of course most importantly to so many people. Um, Unfortunately uh, as with uh, the announcement they made last week this was another example of Daniel Smith making an announcement without first talking with the experts and the people on the front line who are confronting this problem. And as a result, uh, she doesn't have the support of those folks and the IDEA doesn't have the support of those folks and and it's another reason why uh, we can't really trust her leadership. Uh, I think the the, uh, plan that they have uh, to invest in more uh, recovery is excellent. I think the plan they have to eliminate the accommodation fee is excellent. Uh, But I think that, unfortunately, the the rest of it and the failure to to take a more comprehensive approach um, is going to lead to a a failure to succeed, I'm afraid. And and that is coming from folks on the front line who we've been engaging with uh, quite extensively for some time on this issue.
0: Evan, I want to go to you next. With the polls being so close, do you think this is a policy that will resonate with moderates in Calgary that are feeling unsafe given the amount of violent criminal activity we're seeing in the city right now, especially along the transit
2: lines?
4: Yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it, there's a pretty obvious contrast that uh, United Conservatives have when it comes to addictions treatment versus the NDP uh, during their term. Uh, they focus very heavily on so-called safe supply, which certainly uh makes sure that the drugs that uh, folks are using um, uh, aren't as dangerous, but it does nothing to help them in their long-term recovery. And so I I think United Conservatives and Daniel Smith should be applauded. They're actually trying to save people's lives, uh, making sure that they have pathways to recovery. And some folks simply just no longer have the capacity to help themselves. And so I think this policy is worth trying. And it's, it's, uh, it's a serious issue. It's one that Obviously, has something to do with safety, but I think more importantly, it just has to do with um, seeing each individual in society as someone uh, of value and and worth uh, saving and rehabilitating. So I, I think it was a great announcement. I think it's something that Albertans should be proud of, and uh, it shouldn't be nonpartisan. I think the NDP should also take a serious look at the uh, the UCP approach
0: absolutely just when we talk about safe supply i just want to mention for my viewers that rachel Notley was also asked about that at a press conference on monday and she's doing her best to distance herself from her past comments supporting safe supply saying that an NDP government isn't really interested in that she's actually been fairly supportive of what the ucp government has done on the addictions file such as removing the 40 dollar a day fee for care she's touted those as being good policies but she did say you know she's not really in agreement with this forced treatment she doesn't think it's going to work so whether she's actually changed her stance on that or if she's just trying to appeal to moderates is definitely something that you the viewer can ask yourself and I think you can probably figure out the answer the next thing that I want to move to now is the polling numbers so last weekend as we were headed into the weekend some polling numbers came out that had some of the conservatives I talked to a little bit nervous They were showing a consistent upwards trend for the Alberta NDP and conservatives were starting to wonder if they had something to worry about on the ground. Then come Monday, a new poll was leaked from Janet Brown. She is the most respected pollster in Alberta because she gets it right so often and often her takes are a lot different than everyone else's. She's typically a bit of an outlier, but she has a different method, one that reaches more traditional conservative voters. For example, she makes a really big effort to reach people on landlines and she'll call repeatedly throughout the day to make sure she can get a hold of a wide variety of people. So when that poll was released on Monday, it actually showed 56 seats for the UCP compared to the NDP's 31 seats. And most notably, perhaps it showed that the UCP had 51% support in in battleground calgary compared to the ndps 39 percent. so evan i'm going to go to you most of the other polls have been showing you know a little bit up for the ucp a little bit down for the ndp vice versa this was definitely an outlier how are things looking for the ucp right now
4: yeah I, you know I, I it really comes down to ground game now but i think the ucp should feel optimistic about uh, some of the trend lines that we've seen in pulling There's a couple of pollsters that I watch. I think have a lot of credibility. One was the Janet Brown one that you you mentioned on the lead in here. But also, uh, I saw Ipsos came out this week and showed that there is a lead for the UCP in Calgary. That Rachel Notley's numbers aren't as hot as the NDP campaign seems to want to suggest. So I I think there's a couple of really good fundamentals and trend lines for the UCP. Now, there's we're in the final stretch here. I think uh, you I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, but the the debate this week, I think the NDP kind of missed their window to uh, dislodge any UCP voters from the Daniel Smith camp and to create any kind of wave of undecideds in their direction. So for both teams now, uh, I think the UCP have some reason to be confident, but they really got to hustle on their ground game. Advanced polls open next week, and that will be the focus. And I, I really believe if the UCP can get their uh, vote motivated and to turn out that they'll have a good night on election night.
0: And Chris, you're based down in Lethbridge, but of course you talk to people from all over the province. What are you hearing? Are you noticing any trends in the polling right now?
5: So polling to me is kind of wizard magic. Uh, I know pollsters and the way they're actually able to do this is kind of mind boggling to me. However, uh, we talk to our supporters all the time within the taxpayers federation and we talk to them about really substantive stuff like balancing the budget, cutting taxes, making life more affordable. And what we're hearing back from our supporters is that same message. And so whichever party doesn't matter which penny your color is, you know, orange, blue polka dot, if they focus on those issues of affordability of lower taxes and balanced budgets, I think that that will really show up in the polls.
0: So the next thing I wanted to talk about with you guys is the Ethics Commissioner report which dropped on Thursday just ahead of the debate. Now, there's really two parts to this report. The one part of the report is that the ethics commissioner found no evidence of emails from the premier's office to crown prosecutors pressuring them about coots blockade or COVID-19 prosecutions. That story first broke in January in which CBC News relied on anonymous sources to say the emails existed. After they first published the story, they then went back and added a note saying that CBC hadn't seen the emails in question. So in many regards, this report really absolved Danielle Smith of those claims of those emails existing cbc is the only one to allegedly have that story and these emails no one's been able to find them the non-partisan civil service also conducted a review and did not uncover the email so that was definitely some good news for danielle smith however i noticed that in the legacy media reports of the ethics commissioner they totally bypassed that major omission and seemed to focus on the negative aspects of the report which was that danielle smith was also found guilty of breaching the ethics act because she had talked to justice to her justice minister, that's Tyler Shandro, about whether it was still in the public interest to pursue cases relating to COVID-19. We know that Danielle Smith did not approve of the government overreach that we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. That is something she campaigned on during the United Conservative Party leadership race. Of course, the big question here is, is this a story that's gonna resonate with voters? I think if breaches of ethics law did resonate with voters, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau probably would no longer be Prime Minister. But Erica, you're in the war room. What's your take on this story? Do you think it's going to impact voters? And were you guys surprised that the report dropped on Thursday?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's unique and kind of odd um, that it would have... It- Landed yesterday. Um, I'm really glad we're actually having this conversation because you did mention SNC Lavalin, um, and other reporters, um, you know, have been talking and comparing the two, which is, I think, absurd. You know, SNC Lavalin was continuous efforts by the prime minister's office and pressure on the justice minister um, and to which they admitted in this case, the justice minister, Tyler Shandro said, no, like as soon as he said that this is not appropriate, that that was the end of it where um, it's very different. I think it's apples and oranges and I don't think it's fair to, to compare these two. Um, you know, I do think to some degree, this is very inside baseball. Um, the NDP were probably celebrating. Do I think that there is a potential impact? Absolutely. But do I think it's significant Um, No, I don't think it's going to shift supporters um, that are already away. There might be, you know, a few undecideds, but when people, to Chris's point, go to the ballot uh, box on, on, you know, go to cast their ballot on May 29th, it is going to be, at the end of the day, comparison of records of NDP versus um, UCP and on those affordability, the economy, public safety questions. And, you know, if you're if you're comparing that between Notley and Smith, um, I don't think it's going to to be the TSN turning point, as I've been calling it, or what the NDP is trying to make of it.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think this election really is a ballot box question about which leader do voters trust more? Do they trust Danielle Smith despite the NDP's efforts to try to paint her as someone who's crazy and someone who's untrustworthy or are they willing to give the Alberta NDP a second chance even though most people who lived in Alberta during that period really were not fond of that government. Evan I want to go to you next so we know that Danielle Smith is really trying to highlight the positive parts of this report which is that which was that the ethics commissioner didn't find evidence of those emails that was arguably the bigger concern here that she was dile- directly interfering with crown prosecutors we found no evidence of that do you think she's been successful in changing the the channel and highlighting the positive parts of the report or do you think that legacy media's efforts to really just ignore that altogether has kind of overshadowed the premier's efforts
4: yeah i, I think uh i mean campaigns are weird the, one of the advantages was that this happened on debate day as well and so some of the story kind of got weaved into debate coverage which i think was fairly favorable for what the ucp's aims were in yesterday's coverage. Uh, I I think she's been consistent and like if if folks heard or saw her clips she got her message out. Um, She recognizes that there are better ways to talk with the justice minister and she looks forward to working with the ethics commissioner on on how that should look. But you know I I think Erica's right. The the huge uh, concern and the one that caused a lot of attention uh, in the fall and spring legislative sessions was this accusation around being in contact with crown prosecutors and there's still absolutely no tangible evidence that this was the case and uh, i think uh premier smith and the ucp team uh, should be taking some time to walk people through that because that was where everyone was putting all of their bluster and energy and there's still nothing to show for it
0: so we've touched a little bit on the debate now i think that would be an important topic for us to go over a little bit I'm under the impression that quite a few Albertans actually tuned into Thursday night's debate. A global Ipsos poll that I reported on earlier this week said that about half of Albertans were planning to tune in. I don't know if the number was quite that high, but some UCP volunteers that I've spoken with said that they were door knocking in Calgary and every one of three houses that they went to were watching the debate during the hours that it was playing. So that's pretty significant. We know that Danielle Smith needed to deliver during that debate Erica, I'm going to go to you first. What's your take on the debate? Did Danielle Smith get her message across? And was there a clear victor?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Rachel Notley is a strong debater. And she she did hold her own to, to some degree. But I do think Danielle Smith took it. I was in the war room. And we were all smiling uh, at the end of, of this debate. You know, there is a huge population of undecided, a little bit higher, one fifth of the population. So I do think that this debate was important um, for those undecideds. And it did really secure the base. I mean, I think Danielle Smith nailed a lot of it. Some of her points on healthcare and education, uh, you know, items that typically the NDP should kind of dominate um pushback. Um, you know. Rachel Notley was was on the on her heels for a lot of the debates. So I do think that Danielle Smith drove her message. She showed too, in contrast to the Nate, Rachel Notley attack style we saw. Um, she showed premiership. She showed stateswoman. Um, she came off very confident and confident. And I think that that's a big thing that people want to see in who they're going to vote for for the next premier. And she she called the the NDP out on their disastrous record um which is a good reminder for for Albertans too as they head to the polls
0: yeah of course Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley both have so much experience public speaking but I felt that Rachel Notley was a bit caught off guard she seemed a little bit rattled when she started she had to kind of check her notes repeatedly in her introduction remarks she did seem to kind of catch up a little bit later but she was on the back foot and I felt like she was responding to a lot of what the premier was laying down She did have one attack. She tried to bring up Danielle Smith's floor-crossing days. We're going to play that for you now.
3: Uh, Yes, well, I mean, I think the fundamental problem here is that Albertans are deeply concerned at the notion of a Danielle Smith-led government reforming health care in any way, shape, or form. She claims she's guaranteed that nobody will ever pay for a doctor, but, you know, Ms. Smith, uh, I was with you in the legislature in 2014. You stood up and you guaranteed you would never cross the floor. Three weeks later, you crossed the floor. Your understanding of the word guarantee is very different than that of most Albertans. And most people are deeply, deeply troubled at the prospect of you reforming health care based on your 15 year record of advocating to make people pay out of pocket
0: chris this was just so funny to me because i doubt that people who would vote for the ndp really care about daniel smith's floor crossing days in fact most of the people who are really upset about the floor crossing were people that were able to forgive daniel smith after years of listening to her on the radio and then turned out to vote for her in the ucp leadership race so i'm not sure that conversation is super pertinent to a general election right now but what's your take on it
5: That's a great question. So I do still hear it mentioned, uh, but it's in the same context that you just raised. It's like, oh, well, you know, have we forgiven her or not? And those typically, how do I put this? They're typically not your NDP voter who are talking about that. It's usually those who would be assumed to be a right of center or a UCP style voter. And so I found it interesting that Ms. Notley tried to bring that up. What I found super weird, just as somebody who's observed politics my entire life and moved here from British Columbia, is that Notley was a former premier. And it was strange not to hear the well, when I was in the job, I did this, 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 and this. If you're applying for a job again, you'd usually be like, hey, boss, these are the things that I achieved while on the job. And I did so well, you should hire me again. It was very interesting to not hear that kind of language coming from Ms. Notley. And again, I was really happy from a taxpayer's perspective to hear the issues of balanced budgets, fuel taxes carbon taxes all of those big meat and potato affordability issues talked about at length there wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of interruption wasn't a lot of crosstalk. they didn't waste a lot of time I actually wished it was about half an hour longer
0: yeah, I think you raise a really good point. I think it could have been a little bit longer, especially because there was so many commercial breaks. And you raise a point that we had a we had a live show over at True North discussing the debate. We discussed extensively. Rachel Notley doesn't seem interested in running on her record as premier. She seems to be sort of appealing to the moderates right now. And you're right, she didn't bring up her record as premier because I think it was a very unpopular time for the NDP in the party's history. Now, one of the other things we discussed in our pre-show was who was going to go for the jugular first. And I said it would be pretty hard for Rachel Notley not to go for the jugular because their whole campaign has been really negative campaigning strategies. So how can you all of a sudden switch when your talking points are basically based on a lot of lies or at least regurgitating things that Daniel Smith discussed in her podcast at some point, but not policy she's actually put forward in her position as an elected official. That being said, Danielle Smith did have one little zinger when Rachel Notley accused her of breaking ethics law. The premier responded, well, at least one of my NDP, one of my MLAs didn't hack the vaccine portal system. We're going to play that one for you now.
3: The other thing I would say, I've been in office since
6: 2008. I
3: have never actually breached the conflict of interest legislation. Ms. Smith cannot say the same. Well,
6: I guess I guess you're, you did have an MLA who hacked our health care system. I can, I can tell you. Do you that really in, in, want in to M- talk about can, our, can tell you. In our MLAs? Well, like, I, seriously, I, I do not I think you're going to you. win that one. you want to do. I have to tell <laughs> you, when we're putting a, together our affordability payments, to have to ask whether it was going to be hack proof from the NDP, that's not something that Ms. Notley should be very proud of. What I all will also say is that when she came out with her costing document, it was almost immediately discredited because todd hirsch said he hadn't done the analysis on what kind of impact it would have on chasing away investment others did trevor Toom did jack Mintz did there are several business reporters who did the alberta chamber of commerce did and what they have said is that would create instability and the instability would chase additional bis- uh, investment out it would chase jobs out and we would go back and have a rerun of what we did in the period of time that ms nutley doesn't want to talk about which was when she was premier
0: evan what did you you make of this little exchange this to me was one of the funniest moments of the debates and I think it really appealed to Danielle's supporters.
4: yeah a hundred percent listen um, one of the things that doesn't get the amount of media coverage uh, that it deserves is the NDP bench is incredibly weak and they have no shortage of controversies or issues. I know the media like to focus on uh, on the UCP UCP side um, but yeah. Uh, Thomas Dang, uh, with his trying to get involved, uh, hack uh, whatever he called ethical hacking of the health system with uh, the former premier's uh, data. Uh, they, uh, they've got countless examples of when she was in charge of uh, errors with her caucus. Uh, I mean, for goodness sakes, they have four candidates right now who seem to be promoting or avowed communists, uh, an, an ideology that killed hundreds of millions in the last uh, century. So they, they have some issues on their bench. And uh, I think uh, Daniel Smith and UCP are, are definitely wise to highlight it.
0: Okay. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it for today. Thank you so much for joining me this week and we'll see you guys all next week. Okay, everyone. And before we head out, I'm just going to do a quick comment roundup from last week's episode in which we discuss Danielle Smith missing out on some of the campaign to fight fires and Rachel Notley's negative campaigning. Cheryl Roy says Daniel Smith is too much a lady to use the slandering insults that Notley throws at Daniel Smith. What do you guys think about that? Why do you think Daniel Smith hasn't returned the Alberta NDP's negative campaigning? Barking Lizard said, please keep up your good work and expand your reach. Life is better when people are informed. We are always trying to expand our reach by sharing our show across many platforms and posting little experts of it so people can get a taste and hopefully come to find the full show. Feel free to share it across your platforms as well so that we can reach more people. And hopefully once Bill C-11 CRTC regulations come into place, we won't be too hindered by that. And finally, user Derek Boychuk said maybe send a request over to the NDP group asking for a list of questions considered acceptable to be asked or a list of answers that no questions have been asked yet. Yes, I think that you are exactly right. I think that's what they want me to do. They want me to get my questions approved in advance. It's probably why they only really want mainstream media reporters asking them questions because they all kind of ask the same thing and their questions are usually pretty irrelevant to the ongoing election campaign. Usually it just has something to do with the latest hit piece on Danielle Smith or some other candidate from comments they made a bajillion years ago. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alberta Roundup. Let me know what you think in the comments below of our special edition of Election Watch. Friendly reminder that you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. If you want more election coverage, I'm posting on there all the time. And friendly reminder that if you're able, please consider supporting our work. You can do that over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and God bless.